This is the Game Changers podcast where your hosts, Associate Professor of Education and Enterprise, Philip Cummins. And predominant educational thought leader, Adriana DePrado. Well, the Game Changers podcast aims to not only put a spotlight on the innovative ideas shaping the landscape of the 21st century schooling, but to enter into a deep dialogue with those brave pioneers, the true game changers in education. Those individuals that don't want or wait for permission. Leaders in education who are actually courageous enough to make real change in their learning community as they foster the growth of each young person in their care to ultimately thrive in a new world environment. These are going to be their stories. Dr. Henry Masoma comes from Zambia originally. He lives in Texas now. He is a significant voice for empowerment, for character, for kindness. He's become a really good friend to Game Changers and we can't wait to talk with him today about boys, men, education, the world and his views on all of that and more. Let's go. Well, it's great to be with you again, Phil. Thank you, Adriano. And, uh, and Henry, uh, lovely to be in your presence. And thank you for, for um, giving us of your time today. I'm going to launch straight into it, Henry. And my first question to you is, can you share with our listeners a little bit about your story and how did you get to where you are today? My story starts off in a town called Kitwe. It was a small mining town that was established by the British. And I had the good fortune of being born into a family of which my father was one of the first college graduates uh, in Zambia. Because after we got independence, my country built its first uh, university in 1966. So my dad was one of the first cohorts, or maybe second cohorts, of college grads. So I had no choice but to pursue education because I was born into a family where I had a parent that was pursuing that. And when I think about who I am, I think about I am my father, the young man who grew up in a village in Africa with no running water, with illiterate parents, but met educators in the form of Catholic missionaries who planted a seed. And that's why my favorite quote is, you can count the number of seeds in an orange, but you can never count the number of oranges in a seed. And so I am a seed that grew from seeds that were planted decades before myself, maybe even 100 years before myself, but then they came to fruition in the form of my father getting an education, then I getting an education. And I can, of course, I can't forget my mother. I am also my mother because my mother is that, is my heart education. Is, you know, I like to say my father is my head education. My mother is my heart education. And my mother never finished school, but she's one of the most educated people I've ever met because she educates my heart. And it's from my heart that I believe I teach. But from my head, I draw the knowledge. But from my heart, I, I teach. And so, who am I? I'm, I'm a young man. I call myself young. <laughs> and Phil will agree to this. We're both young, Phil. Yeah, uh, yeah, we're, 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 who... we're all young. Some are, some are younger than others. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a young man who's, who's very truly grateful of the many, many, many facets that make the man that I am today. I am both educated and uneducated. I say uneducated because as Phil and I have been talking in the past, we've said the key to any person that is venturing in this enterprise of education is the idea of unlearning. And so when I recognize that I'm uneducated, then I, I remind myself of the need to keep learning. So that's who I am kind of in a nutshell.
Then also, Phil, I appreciate you giving the pause. When I think of who I am, I think of a young man whose identity had been buried in ideas of boyhood and manhood, of race, and all these elements that define a man. And I'm glad to tell you that even in my conversations with Phil at Game Changers, I have found myself reflecting a lot lately on that which informs the educator that's in me, on that which informs the man that is in me, on what that informs the father that's in me or the husband that's in me. And so it's been a very reflective time for me, Phil. I haven't shared this with you, of just thinking, you know, who am I? You know, I always love to challenge my students the question of who are you, but I've found myself saying a lot more to myself lately, who am I? And, and, and Henry, I can't wait for us to um, share our special series that, uh, that you and I have been doing with our, with our listeners. And, um, and those episodes are going to be uh, uh, available uh, in the same way that we're doing uh, the, the rest of the episodes of the series. We're going we're gonna to make them available um, at the time when, uh, when we broadcast this, which will be early April. And I'm really, really looking forward to that. Can, it, it, your, your career is interesting. You, you started off in, in, with, a, with a bachelor's and master's in international agriculture from Texas A&M. So, you know, you went, moved from Zambia to Zimbabwe to Texas. Um, you've stayed there. You've lectured. Um, you've worked in administration. You've worked in philanthropy. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about the thing that you're probably best known for um, and how that's changed your approach to teaching and learning? Well, um, the, before we proceed for me answering that question, I want to say to my brother Adriano, you know, it's been also interesting to see the, what you've been posting about this series of Game Changers and what all it is that you all hope comes out of this. So I want to thank you. I've loved the quotes and I like the vision that you all have in, the, in as far as education is concerned. You know, I believe that you all are involved in a work that is a human work, not just an intellectual work. Yeah. And uh, Phil, to your, to your, to your question, what I, what am I known best as? Phil, I think now who I'm known best as you you on my trip to Singapore and uh, me coming back, I've stolen the idea of what you're calling me, and I believe I'm about to do something uh, in the world that's going to come out of the idea I've gotten out of you. I am now claiming the title of the Professor of Kindness. Excellent, I was, excellent. <laughs> I was nervous to claim that because it sounds egotistical, it sounds self-promoting, but I'm embracing it. Um, and I'm going to use some words that are powerful that was stated by the first president of my country. You know, when he was being interviewed uh, a while ago, somebody asked him, what do you think Africa will have to offer the world when it's all said and done? And he said, when the West is done with taking our natural resources and taking our resources, you know, importing our resources and all that, the final export out of Africa will be our humanity. And I believe I teach from this deep-seated African humanity. And it's, I don't believe it's my intellect that draws my students. My intellect is a vessel, but it is the heart that is deeply African, I believe, that is at the core of what gets me to a space where I can even be labeled as a professor of kindness. Phil, my father just wrote a book, and in that book, I found a line that my dad wrote in there, and it's a proverb from my language. I can't say it in my language. It's a new one to me as well. And it says, he who teaches sticks close 
to those that he or she teaches. He or she that teaches sticks close to them that they teach. And right there when I saw that quote, I thought, man, here I am in the arrogance of time thinking that my approach is new when my approach is deeply seated in my culture. Yeah. You know, it's really interesting sitting here listening to you, Henry, because uh, so much of our Game Changers series to series one is centered around each individual that we have interviewed, not only their own humanity, but a quest for a greater humanity. That's correct. So I'm really interested to unpack this a little bit further with you around the question, the key question that we've actually been asking everyone. And that is what's the purpose of schooling in today's world? Because what I'm hearing you share with us today is, is one that goes much deeper than a standardized test that prepares them for the next stage or entry into a university or helps them just simply get employment. Can you talk a little bit about what you believe then is this purpose of what schooling is today in a world that is going through great flux of uncertainty? One, what is the purpose of an education? I have, um, Adriana, thanks for that question. I have three P's that I sell to all my students. The first P is, um, I hope that in the process of education, you find your place of passion. I hope that in the process of your education, you find your place of purpose. And I hope that when in your process of education, you find your place of power. So I believe that education is a liberating force. You know, in my language, they say, Umusha afwanefia wumukano. Phil, it's up to go for it. Say it, brother. Umusha. Umusha. Afwa. Afwa. Nefiebo. Nefiebo. Mukanwa. Mukanwa. Man, you made that sound so Aussie right there, man. I'll leave you alone on that one. Um, <laughs> my, my vowels can butcher any, anybody's language. <laughs> so, umusha afwane fiebo mukanwa. What that means is a slave dies with words in his or her mouth. And I believe that education in the way it is being done traditionally is slavery. It is training people to operate almost like the way we train animals. Fetch, bring, fetch, bring, fetch, bring, fetch, bring, take, fetch, fetch, fetch. I believe the education of the future and the education that I hope that at Game Changers we're speaking to is an education that liberates. It's an education that says to someone that, you know what, you might graduate from this college and never ever make the grandiose of salaries, but you will have found your personhood and the identity that you have that is not defined by those types of things. It's the kind of education that causes a man who's entry level to work for, or a woman, entry level, to wake up each morning thinking they're part of a bigger picture. And I believe money can never buy that. Money hardly brings that. In fact, the quote that I love that one of my students, who was a very wealthy student that was in my class, gave me was, he came up to me after a little while, he and I used to hang out a lot. He was a Caucasian young male, and of course I'm African, uh, and I'm a black African, and guess what? I took him to the black barbershop, and I was trying to introduce him to my world. Then one day after he and I were hanging out, he looked at me and he said, Dr. Misoma, some people are so poor, all they have is money. Wow. I hope that... Sorry, go ahead, Adriano. No, no, no. Look, I was just processing what you were just saying there, and I actually had goosebumps with that particular quote. Uh, It's... um, I... I uh, shared some time in my life in Africa where 
during uh, my long service leave, I actually started off on a pilgrimage in Israel during Easter as a, as a Christian and as a Catholic. And then post that, I decided to go to South Africa to support a refugee program there uh, called 326. And what I learned very quickly was that I wasn't there to support that program. I was there to support the passion, the purpose and the power of these young people that I was encountering every single day and the adults that inherently believed in their possibility. And I was working alongside this dynamic Rwandan woman where hope and love were her constructs every day. And just sitting here listening to you has made me a little emotional because it reminded me of that encounter uh, that runs so deep. And I love the fact that you are wanting to claim the title of Professor of Kindness because I think in today's world right now, that's, that's kind of the prescription we all need. Thanks for saying that, my brother. Um, thanks for saying that. Ichi chalo chikapita Nchili umweni kuntuchili Ichi chalo chikayafie Napatu hukila mofie Mweka hatula imwe muve chivusawa ndine mweka 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 tula uh, Adriano I went through a, a something that happened in my life that was deeply deeply transformational and uh, Phil and I have talked a little bit about this and the reason why I sing that song is it's a song it's a simple Christian song in my language that, that this song, all it says in each line is, I don't know where this world is heading to. I don't know what's going to happen in my lifetime. I don't know what kind of fortune I'll encounter or misfortune. But all I'm asking you, God, is to be my friend. It's the simplicity of the need of a friend. And I believe that a lot of our kids are not only coming to our classes for our knowledge. A lot of our kids in a world that is full of chaos and confusion and, and fast, rapid change are coming to our classes saying, are you a friend? Are you friendly? That's where I said, you know, the song that came from. Yeah. Uh, look, you know, we exist because of each other, not in spite of each other. And, I, and what you're saying with me today really resonates with that kind of uh, uh, construct. Uh, Henry, I want to I shift it now to then this notion of character education, because that's what's coming out here clearly through here, this notion of how can we give character education the same emphasis in a new mainstream curriculum and schooling and give it the same credibility and commitment as we do to the acquisition of literacy and numeracy? That is a powerful question. And Brother Phil, I'm glad you're, you're sitting there laughing and leaving me hanging to answer this one. Um, you know, <laughs> I, 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 th- I, think, I think you're going to come up with a much more eloquent answer than I can. I've, I've got a bit of research oh behind me on this stuff, but you've got wisdom. <laughs> um, I, you know, 
Adriano, you have me stumped there, my brother. You have me stumped. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to attempt to answer this in the way that I see it. I think we have enough evidence, especially in the West, yeah. right in front of our, our faces, to see what individualism, aggressive competitiveness, and all these things that we've been selling for the last 40-plus years in the business world, in the education world. I love one of my friends that said the hospital staff left the day the MBA started running them. We just have robots. And so, to me, I don't think we have to work hard at convincing. We just have to show the evidence. You know, look, look what has happened when we're operating on a, under a model that says information is power. Yes, they have a lot of information, but are they truly powerful? Are they making the impact in the world that you think they should? And to me, when you look around, I think the evidence is overwhelming that our educational system across the world it has been geared towards almost creating people that are so in love with the idea of ed being educated that they that you almost forget that you're an agent of change. And I'm going to criticize my peer professors and faculties across the world in universities. I walk the hallways of academia and I meet individuals that brag on the idea that they don't like to teach, they'd rather spend their time just researching. And they don't even want to make connection and contact to those people that will become ambassadors of changing the society that they prescribe that their research is for. Make sense? Yeah. And so I, I believe that we need this paradigm shift that starts with, at all levels, that sells this notion of education as a, as a transformative tool, as, a, as a, the best diplomatic tool that you could ever sell in the world. Because a person that truly is educated, and I'll give an example. When I met Phil, he and I had almost instant brotherhood. And here's a, an Aussie, bald-headed fella in Singapore with a lot of swag. And then here's an African guy in Singapore, and we meet. And it's this instant spark. Well, and you, I, you, I believe you had, that's... You, you, you had your fair share of swag as well, too, brother. <laughs> Hey, but I believe, based on what you're asking me, guys, I believe that that spark happened is because here's two men whose hearts are open. You know what I mean? And so to me, I would call that a moment where the evidence we need to show the world even happened between this gentleman who he and I now have recorded eight, oh, I mean, seven or so podcasts. And we've, I feel like I need to come and see him in Australia. And I've only met him once. Yeah. Because... There's an openness of heart that I think is so connective that it speaks to the character things that you all are studying and speaks to a lot of other things. Sorry, I'm talking too much today. No, 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 no. no. And, and, and when, this, um, when, this, uh, when this virus thing uh, eventually washes over, I, we, we will get to do that. Um, I, I can't wait. Um, you talk about the importance of opening the heart of men. Can we shift the conversation towards that? Can we talk about yes, the way in which we might use school more effectively to open the heart of hearts of young men everywhere and why that might be necessary. Yes, sir. Um, um, my brothers, if, if you and I live by the model that we were taught, uh, our quality of life and uh, our mortality is pretty grim because we are taught to be in fact, I love the way they say it in the United States to be men that pull themselves up their own bootstraps. 
that's kind of a, a sudden thing. Hey, buddy, just work hard and pull yourselves up by your own bootstraps. I don't need nobody. I'm my own man. I came here by myself, and I'm going to leave by myself. That's a bunch of baloney, as we say in Texas. I believe that the power of men is behind this idea of vulnerability, and I'm stealing from my sister, Brene Brown, who talks about how at the place of vulnerability there's intimacy. And um, uh, Adriana, one thing I've heard from one of my pastors, I had a pastor who used to say, the word intimacy is no longer spelled I-N-T-I-M-A-C-Y. It should be spelled I-N-T-O-M-E-S-E-E. Intimacy. And I believe there's a lot of men, not just young boys, men going around who, don't, who are invisible. They're not seen. They've got challenges. And, but the world is telling them, suck it up, you're tough. And they don't, they're not willing to be vulnerable. And I'm going to give you an example of that. I used to do training for a big major oil company in Texas. And I used to train executives, C-suite executives. And I used to have them for eight hours a day to myself. When I tell you, Phil, my brother, after I did my eight-hour session talking about what you and I are talking about, the number of men that are high-end CEOs in, in a multinational company that would come to me crying about how they hadn't been in touch with their humanity was staggering. When this multinational company started to change their develop, I mean, the process of the training for their executives, and they started to downsize because there was a shift in the markets, they cut out a lot of faculty members who had very high-end Ivy League education stuff, but guess who they never cut out? They never cut out my hours. They kept me on the track. So even in corporate America, I have tested this to see that what you and I are talking about, even corporate America at least is hungry to hear this. Do you know, it's, it's interesting you'd say that, Henry. There's, um, uh, last year, when I was um, beginning to bring together the, the sort of material for the, the book, The Pathway to Excellence, that I'm going to bring out sometime later this year, um, I was in South Africa and I was uh, talking to a group of principals of boys' schools, and these are really top boys' schools. Uh, and these are, these are men doing a tremendous job, um, not only in educating boys, but in bringing about practical transformation of, of, of South Africa. And I was talking about the relationship that I had with my father, which you and I have explored, um, you know, that Bruce Springsteen quote, um, that, you know, he was my greatest uh, friend and my greatest foe, you know, and, and, and trying to tease that out. And, and they were encouraging me to talk about it. And so I'm, I'm talking about it with them publicly. And at one point, I'm, um, I, I'd ask them, you know, to think about their own relationships with their fathers. And we pretty quickly worked out that out of a group of 25 of them, uh, I think two of them had had a proper conversation with their father at least once in their life. That there's just an entire generation of men who had been separated from their, from, you know, that, that key relationship. Um, so I want to extend this conversation a little bit more and say, if we're going to open the hearts of men, how do we use school then to help boys to connect more closely with their fathers? You know, Celia Lashley says that when boys enter adolescence, it's time for dads to step up. You know, she would, she, she would, uh, she, and she would, uh, she was an amazing, amazing person. Um, uh, prison water and later researcher and educator from uh, New Zealand, single mom, um, amazing lady who, who passed away recently. 
um, and her her book um, um, he'll be he'll be okay, um, uh, which which sort of was the first big project into what good men are and how we educate for it. And she would say that you know boys and adolescents, it's 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 time for them to let go of the hands of their mums, and to walk beside their dads and and walk forward. How do we use school to help boys to connect with their dads? or the person who is the dad figure in their life, for those who don't have a dad, to walk forward with them? Wow. Um, a couple years ago, I was hanging out with my father. And I'm a, I'm a mama's boy. Brother Adriano, I love my mama. You know, uh, I'm a mama's boy. boy. Ma- ma- maybe you're an Italian at heart. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm a mama's boy. Just thinking about her right now. Just Anyway, um... So one day, this mama's boy is talking to his dad, and the dad looks at him and he says, son, if you want to be a man, you need to stop listening to your mother. And I looked at my dad and I said, how dare you say that about my mom? I like her so much. Are you trying to minimize her place in my life? 20 years later, 30 years later, I get it. I get it. What my father was trying to tell me is this. Your mother loves you so much that if you listen to every word she says, you will never fly. I'd have never come to America if it was my mother's choice. Because my mother would have said, stay right here close to me. I love you. I want you to eat right. I want you to have this. But when it's time to come here, my, bob, my dad said, he got to go. He's got to go find himself. The other thing I think of is how, as men, we are scared to invite our young men in this place of pain. Phil. Mm. A lot of us are scared to, to visit our places of pain. In fact, we're not as courageous as we think. We're actually cowards. Um, and, our, and our young men know it. We try to tell our We hide our fears behind our successes, quote-unquote. You know, that's why we've got the big houses, the big trucks, and all that stuff for some of us. But deep down, there's a little boy who was crushed. And I'm going to say something that has happened to me in my life that I'm grateful for. Um, like I said, my dad's writing his book. Adriana, you don't know this. When I was in 11th grade, I had a breakdown and ended up in a mental hospital, and I stayed there for about three weeks. And I remember the day my father came to see me and his reaction to this space. But did you know that my father had the same exact experience about the same time, about the same age, and he never shared for the last 20-plus years? And guess where he shared that? In his book. Mm. And it hurt for me to think that my dad... And I've spent a lot of time with him in the last few years because he was here battling cancer and we got to spend five months of long days together. And even in those moments that my dad did not have the courage to say, son, it sucked. This is what happened to me and what happened to you happened to me as well. And I'd like to say to our educators, you know what? They know that we're not as strong as we are. It's time to take off the mask and look at these kids and say, listen, I've won a lot of battles, but I lost a lot too. I love what one friend of mine said. We're looking at the trees, and she said, Henry, I love the fall because all the leaves are off the trees and you can see the scars. I wish that men would let their leaves fall off every now and then and let the young boys see the scars. Because guess what? When you find your place of, uh, when you find your place of passion, you find your place of purpose, and when you find your place of purpose, you find your place of power. And the word passion in, the, in, the, in its origins comes from the word to suffer. That's why we call it the suffering of Christ. And so there's something deeply powerful about visiting these places of pain. But education doesn't do that well because education is always showcasing success. Mm. You know, even when you think about business schools, 
I hardly see any business person being brought in my college who started a business and failed. It's always, look at the CEOs at the top of his game. So our kids don't even get an accurate view of what's gonna happen in life. And so, can you imagine, Phil, if you just walked into a classroom of young men, which I try to do every now and then, and I'll just say, guys, um, my life sucks right now. I'll start off some lectures by just saying, it sucks to be me right now. Guess what happens in those lectures? You tell me. Yeah, of course. That, 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 it, it, you know, I'm going to let you tell the story rather than me. Tell me, about, tell me what sort of transformation of those individuals happens in those moments. I'll tell you about a young man called Ben. And he doesn't mind me calling, uh, saying his name. Yeah, ben was in one of my courses. And he was, um, his sexuality, you know, he was uh, a gentleman that was, you know, homosexual. And uh, he knew that where I come from, my homeland, that people have very strong sentiments about that. That makes sense? He knew about my faith background and all that. I hope this is okay for us to talk about. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think Adriano is going to follow up with some more questions on this, so keep going. And so Ben one day walks up to me, and I love this kid. He and I still talk. And we're in the park because he, he and I were hosting a, a camp for our students. He was one of my student leaders. And he looked at me and says, Dr. Mersoma, did you know that you're the first black man I've ever been taught by in my whole life? <laughs> and I looked at him, I said, congratulations, Ben. How's it so far? <laughs> <laughs> and then, then he proceeded to say to me, can I talk to you? And I looked at him and I said, sure. We've been talking this whole time. And I said, can I talk to you? And he looked at me and he said, sir, I'm Jewish and I'm gay. And there's not a single person in my family, sorry, you have a, there's not a single non-family member that knows this about my life. And I'm about to graduate from this university with a master's degree, and I feel like I have this private thing that I deal with, that I carry. It's almost like a gorilla on my back. And in that moment, Phil, I went back to my grandmother. I went back to all the people that would never agree with a young man like him, that would never welcome him in his home, and all the people even in my homeland. And I'm thinking, God, you have brought me in a moment where I am having an experience that doesn't align with anything that I've ever known in my life. And guess what I could only do in that moment is be human. It was no longer an intellectual relationship. It was now a young man who was sharing from a place of his, of his pain with, um, with, an, uh, with a teacher. The teacher that now is becoming quickly as they say in Tanzania, Mufundisi, which is just more than just teaching in a classroom, it's teaching in life. And so uh, I looked at Ben and I said, Ben, uh, when, you know I love you, man. He said, I do. I said, I appreciate you sharing. And I said, I know, where I, I know you know where I stand on this, the issue of homosexuality and where I'm coming from. I'm going through a change myself to, to unpack my ideas about this, but I want you to know that you have a safe place for the rest of your life in me. And I got up around my table and hugged this kid in my office. And guess what? This young man calls me almost every other, like every other year, no matter what he's doing. He's been graduated years now. And I have a beautiful relationship. I told him, I don't have to totally agree with your life and your life choices, but we have the capacity to love each other. And I choose to love you, and I do. Those are moments I think of. Sorry, go on. Sorry. Sorry, Adrian. 
No, go ahead. No, go ahead, Adrian. Well, I was just going to say there's something um, extremely powerful about what you're sharing with us today because my question to you was, you know, how, how are we going to really um, answer this gender conditioning that goes on, you know? And, and, and the fact that, that, that men are hardwired a particular way, yeah? We're, we're, hard, we're hardwired a particular way to, to be this kind of perfect male specimen that has no flaws, that doesn't hurt, that comes from only a position of strength and that we can't show vulnerability. But what I'm not going to even ask you that question because you've been able to demonstrate so eloquently why the power of story, why the power of vulnerability, why the power of humanity and why the power of learning unlearning and relearning is significant to character education and really significant for us to go forward. You know, in my experience, uh, I've just come out of a a school setting where it was an all boys school setting and we worked exceptionally hard to kind of smash those stereotypes to help young men understand a couple of things. First of all, we named it. We named it and we said, we acknowledge that we men are put in a box that we didn't design. That as we raise boys to become young men and men, that we owe it to them to be very mindful of the ways in which we collude with creating that kind of man code. And we have to be very conscious of that. And the second one, which what you've just demonstrated is, we've got to celebrate multiple masculinities. You know, we've got to move towards this movement towards a whole human being. We've got to move towards including and dismantling our own gender biases and embracing that we are the sum of all of our parts, that we hurt, we feel, we bleed, we laugh, we cry, we feel joy, and we also know happiness. And um, uh, this this conversation with you today is bringing me great joy and happiness because uh, you are demonstrating to our listeners an example of what men can be when they listen to their hearts. Well, you know what's so funny, Adriana? My father just called me on the phone right now. <laughs> of course he did. Of course he did. Yeah. And guess and guess what? He's calling me again, and I'm sorry. <laughs> and you know what? The, the reason why he's calling me, I shared with him something I'm going through that is personal and very big. And my father is up at 4 a.m. probably thinking about me and reaching out to me. He's called twice now. And that's, this is the imperfectly perfect man that I've grown to love so much. The man that, uh, that did the best based on what he knew. And I'm learning to forgive Mm. as I get older. I'm learning to even forgive myself for some of the things done in terms of coach life with others and so each class that I teach I invite my students to a place of uh, forgiveness and uh, I, I steal a quote from uh, Pastor Pastor T.D. Jakes out of Dallas who says forgiveness is letting the prisoner go and realizing that the prisoner was yourself and so I believe to, to, to go back to where we started that true education liberates if you and I are doing any whatever training you all do at Game Change whatever training you do Whatever programs you do, if people are left oppressed, you didn't do anything. Mm. And people should be liberated in some form or fashion. You know, and liberation comes in all kinds of ways. 
you know, um, that young man, Ben, um, I will know him for the rest of my life. Yeah. Does that mean I, full, uh, you know, do I totally agree with everything about him? The answer is no. Does he totally agree with everything about me? The answer is no. But what we found is a common humanity. And so with that common humanity, I believe we do what Nelson Mandela taught us very well, is we see beyond the pain and we hold on to a greater vision that, that goes beyond us. I mean, Nelson Mandela is still impacting the world from his grave. And what I'd say to that is, when we build these men, boys of character, they will never die. We are developing eternal transformational leaders. Because even from the grave, a good man still changes the world. How do you think we can support uh, educators and school leaders in school settings, particularly in single-sex boys' schools, to call out misogyny, to call out discrimination towards women, and also to call out discrimination to, to the LGBT community. How can we empower those communities to understand exactly what you're sharing with us here today? Because what I'm hearing you tell me is it's about being open to the inherent possibility of yourself, to God, to place, and the other. So how can, how can we help these school communities call that stuff out? I'll just call it smash it in the head. You know, when you and I are silent, we're complicit. When it comes up, call it what it is and don't be complicit. Um, I know for a fact, and uh, I've spoken to Phil about this, as a, as a black male in the United States, there's a different prejudices that I experience. Sure. And the best moments I have is when a white brother speaks to it in the moment. Oh my gosh, I just want to hug it. <laughs> you know what I mean? When somebody stands up for me in that moment. So as educators, we need to be in the classroom very aware when these things are happening and to speak up for those types of individuals that we see and calling it out sooner than rather than later. Not waiting for this collective day, some little chapter in your last book of your textbook where you say, today we're talking about diversity. No, making it a daily practice, you know, a daily practice of, of speaking to things. You know, no, sir, we don't tolerate that language here. You know, you're speaking to a human being. What would it be like if somebody spoke to you in that manner? You know, I found a lot of liberation in that. I'll give you an example. We were in South Africa, so we were in Zambia a couple of years ago, and I took 15 students, and we're at Victoria Falls. And, you know, one Zambian guy looked at one of my students and said, hey, you're too fat. You can't get on this right. And, you know, to a young female American lady, yeah. that is deeply upsetting. And, Brother Phil, I'm not a fighter, but I don't know why that just cut me deeply my kids become my kids i went after this man i demanded that they give us free rights because of the lack of compassion that that man spoke to and can i tell you something about this young lady i speak to her every month and she's been graduated for a while mm. you know what she calls me what did she call you dad there we go he calls me dad and a few days after i did this for her we went to my hometown and we hosted a, a small little fair for young kids to come and play we bought all these dumping castles and stuff. You know what that young lady did? She came to me and said, Dr. Msoma, can you please take me to the market square? And she spent every dollar she had on her and bought candies and stuff for the kids, even though she was from a lower socioeconomic background, because her heart was touched on this trip. I'm no longer just was her teacher. I was, you know the word pedagogy means to lead a child? Yeah. Pedagogy. And so I led her. And to that, 
we have a, a lifetime relationship. Sorry, gentlemen. Um, look, that's okay. That's it. That's that's your dad again. I'm sure. Um, we're gonna. Uh, yes, it is. I think I think we might take this opportunity to wind this conversation up, Henry. Um, you began with an image of the of the the orange, and the, and the pips, and the seeds. Um, um, through this conversation, you have unpacked kindness, and compassion, and love for others, and love for humanity so eloquently, and in in such a moving fashion. Um, uh, it seems to me appropriate to return to that image of the orange and the seeds because if we plant these seeds of kindness on a daily basis in the way that you're talking about um, and if we engage with the young men in our care in particular young women too but um we're 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 talking with a couple of other game changers about that notion so we're focusing on young men with you um then we then we have a chance to get to that place of vulnerability, to that place of intimacy where um, more constructive and less destructive masculinities might be forged on a daily basis. Thank you so much for the privilege of having another conversation with you today. Really, really enjoyed sharing it. Um, uh, Adriana, do you want to finish off? Yeah, look, I just want to say, Henry, that this has been uh, an inspiring morning and uh, being in your presence is a real privilege and it it has definitely taken me back to on a personal level to my two encounters with Africa and its people. You you know the the African saying better than anyone about I am because we are, and I feel I, fe- I feel you know that today uh, we have been in that kind of presence and that I have grown as a person because I had the opportunity to listen to your story and your lived experience. What I, what I deeply loved about what you shared with us today is that raising good men is fundamentally about celebrating and respecting the dignity of each young person's inner truth, their individual identity, and their unique gifts. And that how then when can we help them understand that they are no longer just net takers, but active contributors to society and the formation of humanity going forward. And brother... And I'm calling you that now. <laughs> I, I just want to say a huge thank you to you. Yeah, it's been You're a privilege. Welcome, so you better You're go. You better go and talk to your dad. Say good day to your dad for us. It's been a privilege. Thanks, Henry. Thanks, gentlemen. We'll talk to y'all soon. Bless you. Bless you too. Game Changers is a podcast for those who want to change the game of school. Produced by Samuel Wiseman for Orbital Productions. Tell your friends and don't forget to subscribe.